You're listening to Louisiana Insider, a superlative guide to a great state's destinations. Hosted by Errol Laborde, executive editor of Louisiana Life Magazine. It's not Louisiana song. It's my favorite melody. It's not Louisiana song. Hearing it echo through the cypress trees. unusual topic today. Uh, our guest is a, a return guest, but a, a return guest talking about something totally different. And he's one of our, my favorite conversationalists. This is uh, Jim Brown, who is the former Secretary of State, former Insurance Commissioner, former State Senator, and always a political observer. But today he's talking about something that happened to him. As we enter what I hope is the, the end of the COVID era, he did his column. He, uh, uh, this week, uh, he, he does a, a web column about an incident that happened when he caught COVID. Now, we all probably know somebody that got COVID, but man, I got to tell you, you got the worst case uh, uh, I've heard of what happened to you and, and the treatment. And, and when I was reading this, it talks about what happened in the hospital and the treatment, the lack of treatment in the hospital. And I was thinking, man, this is a big shot. This is like a, a big guy, okay? Yeah, I mean, an important guy in Baton Rouge and he's being ignored. And, and, and so, and so what's it like for everybody else? And uh, so let's talk. Uh, first of all, Jim, this happened in, in December of, uh, of, of 2021, right? Uh, no, 2020. Now, let's see. Let's, 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 so it's been a year and about five months ago where I was, uh, like everyone else, trying to be careful, very uncertain about what could happen. And uh, I went through, uh, uh, and I was ultra careful at my age, I'll be 82 here in May. So I knew I was over 80 and I had exposure. And even though I'm in good shape for my age, I work out every day, but I still knew I had some exposure. And so I was very cautious in in being around crowds of any kind. And I made a a mistake, uh, Errol. My brother-in-law, former state representative Steve Carter, uh, very progressive, well-respected, very well-liked legislator in Baton Rouge, was running for mayor of Baton Rouge. And uh, he had a fundraiser, and I've not gone out anywhere. This was in this early December. He had a fundraiser, uh, maybe November, I guess. And uh, so I didn't, I really wasn't going to go, but uh, John Besh, the well-known chef, we all know of John Besh in Baton Rouge, rather in New Orleans, uh, John was going to be the celebrity chef and kind of cook up a special meal at the fundraiser. And John and I have been friends for a long time. So I volunteered to go over and get him. I just wanted to kind of be nice to visit with John. I said, I'd just bring him over to the dinner. Went over to Slidell where he lives and picked him up and brought him over to the dinner. And then I said, well, should I go in or should I not go in? And I said, guys, here's you know, one of those prominent chefs in America cooking a great meal. How can I pass that up? So I, with some trepidation, went into the hotel where the uh, banquet was being held and uh, did some visiting. Some folks came over and shook my hand. I still was a little cautious, but I mingled with a number of people. And that was a, a real air at the time. Uh, Errol, I'm going to point out to some of your viewers that are tuned, have been tuned into COVID uh, in the last few months that there's, we've come a long way in terms of identifying and treating uh, COVID symptoms. 
Right now, I saw Pfizer has a pill out. If you take it within four or five days after you get COVID, it really diminishes the, uh, the, the chances that you'll have to go into the hospital and you have a lot better. We didn't have anything like that then there. There was no antidote. Uh, the the uh, shots were just being talked about and just being implemented. And so I went in, in somewhat cold and that's where I got the COVID. And to tell you how serious it was that night, my brother-in-law, a well-respected state representative who was 77 years old, died of the COVID, never came out of the hospital. He went in and never came out on a ventilator and never came out. Well, I got some symptoms, I handled it for a few days, Errol, I thought I was maybe hanging in there, but then it got worse and I was feeling really miserable. And so uh, my doctor said, Jim, you better go to the hospital. This, this is getting serious for you. Uh, this could be the COVID and you just need to go in. So I went to a prominent hospital here in Baton Rouge, large hospital, didn't go to a small group and uh, went in and, and admitted myself. And from that point on, Errol, it was all uphill for the climb, but downhill as far as adequate care and adequate provisions taken for me. And I'll be glad to go into some detail with you. But that basically is the overall view that got me into the situation I found myself. Now, was the hospital at the time full with other COVID patients? Wasn't that, that it was, there were people coming and going. I didn't get the impression it was that uh, uh, overrun, uh, the, the terrible scenes we saw in months following the widespread COVID uh, uh, that took place. We saw people waiting in hallways or waiting in doorways to get in, waiting for hours. I didn't have that. I don't think the hospital's that filled up. Uh, when I called, they said they could take me in, or when my, I mean, my wife called, but so I didn't uh, sense the hospitals that overcrowded, but uh, it was a comedy of errors. I mean, once the dominoes started falling, they really fell early, and I had one problem after the other that I'll be glad to get into. To give you an example, uh, my uh, nephew dropped me off of the hospital, and the nurse or the attendant brought me into, not in the hospital, but just a little shed area. I'm not heated or cooled at all. It was kind of cold at the time. I sat there for three hours before I was ever even taken in the hospital. I asked on several occasions, I, I'm so thirsty, could I have some water? Well, we'll check on it. I never got the water. So right off the bat, I was very uh, uh, disgruntled and deeply concerned. But I thought, well, once I got into the hospital room, I don't know the, the overall provision of medical care, uh, it'll get better. It didn't, it got a lot worse. And I want to say this about the COVID. You know, I know I am so disappointed that politics has gotten into how we handle this whole COVID response. So let me tell you what, those on the outside or those listening who have not experienced what you went through with serious COVID uh, did not realize how serious it is. You don't get COVID. You don't get COVID, COVID gets you. COVID seeks you out and bam, lets you have it in a way that just uh, is, is just something I've never experienced before. And, and Earl, I'm pretty good shape for my age, but I've had hip replacement, knee replacements, back problems, you name it, I've had it, had a number of operations. Nothing was as bad as the hospital experience that I undertook when I had COVID and I went in to start, to hopefully, uh, put it behind me. It didn't. It just got worse and worse. 
So what were the first symptoms that you felt? Well, as far as the symptoms, I think uh, uh, sweats, uh, fever, uh, real being real tired. I was very tired. Uh, I uh, had mucus and I was uh, uh, blowing my nose a good bit. And I thought it was just maybe a, 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 the flu, uh, a serious cold or the flu. Uh, that happens from time to time to me and to everyone out there. Uh, but it kept getting it. Uh, like I say, I know my body and I, I'm now in good shape and was in good shape at the time. I worked out every day, watch what I eat. So you kind of know signals that, that, hey, this is beyond the norm of just a, a two-day flu or cold or even a week. This is a lot more serious. My body told me, hey, look out. This is going to be a lot worse than you've experienced here in, in recent years. And so, uh, uh, so once I sucked out, I said, well, I don't think you got the COVID. I haven't been around anybody. And my wife reminded me, well, yes, Jim, uh, you went to that dinner and there was a lot of people down there. And, and but I stayed over in a corner. I was at a table, but people, came, you know, I'm recognizable. And a lot of people came over and shook my hand. And I wouldn't shake hands up this bump, but they all came over and said hello. And in that flow of people, that's the only place that I, I could have gotten the COVID because uh, you know, we thought initially you could get it by someone's putting their hands on the table or something like that. It comes from the air, from what you breathe, and around those people, uh, that's where I got it. That's exactly where I got it. So that's where my brother-in-law got it. So uh, uh, it, was a, uh, it was a real wake-up call, but still at the time, I thought, oh, I'm going to go in the hospital, but if I can handle this, I'm in too good a shape, and I, I know to do what they tell me here, and I'm going to not just stay in bed. I knew I, I had to get up and do rehab and once I everything settled down, but uh, it just seemed to go downhill. And uh, Errol, in my hospital, and, you know, I don't want to make a general statement, but, you know, I was insurance commissioner for some time and dealt with uh, the whole area of health care and medical provisions and medical problems of, uh, liability coverage for doctors and other medical uh, people. And so I understand the system. I understand I, I spent a great deal of time studying and writing about Obamacare and uh, other types of medical coverage. So I understand uh, what goes on in terms of the care you get. And, uh, uh, and I've had some excellent experiences. I went over to the Houston Health, uh, to the Houston Heart Clinic, uh, Texas Heart Institute. And I was blown away by how thorough they were. They knew my whole history. They, they took me in for the treatments. Uh, they were, the doctor was very attentive. When he walked in the door, knew what my situation was like. Uh, after I was through doing my heart check, to be sure I was okay, I started leaving. He says, oh no, you're not gonna leave. We wanna lay out the schedule for your follow-up. We wanna know what you're eating a month from now. And, and they still do that. I'm pointing it out because that, that's the Mercedes-Benz or the Rolls-Royce of care, but it ought to be average care. It shouldn't be special. And it wasn't that they didn't know me from Adam. And so uh, comparing that to my treatment, I'd have a doctor walk in the door once a day, usually late into the day, having no idea who I was, what my problem was, what my prognosis was, nothing. He would pick up the chart, or she, there's a, a female a doctor, came in, looked at the chart, 
Well, let's see. Now, you, uh, you, you got the COVID, I guess, I see. <laughs> and so I didn't have a doctor tuning into my care. Well, it's going to take a few days to run its course. I'll be back tomorrow. Bye. Uh, three or four minute, not even five minutes, three or four minute visit with me. The nursing care was very subpar in my case. This is uh, one of the two big hospitals in Baton Rouge, Errol. Uh, when when uh, when I could get the nurse's attention, and that was hard to do, uh, it was a quick in and out. Uh, I would hit the button to ask for water. I was very thirsty, wanting water. And it might be an hour or so before someone would come in to uh, uh, try to bring me some water. And they wouldn't know what I wanted. I said I wanted water, but someone would come in and say, do you need something? I said, well, an hour and a half ago, I asked for water, and I'm still waiting on the water. Uh, the, uh, one of the worst events that happened to me, Errol, was I had to get up to use the restroom in the middle of the night. I slipped on the floor in the bathroom uh, and lay there for 45 minutes, hollering for help. Finally, an orderly kind of came by and just happened to be walking up by the door when I hollered and got me up after 45 minutes. And so... Uh, uh, any event, I, I know there are standards, and, and, and I hope that's not the norm, but I'm finding, you know, with, with my talking about what happened to me, I'm hearing uh, other personal experiences to show that, uh, you know, if you're lucky and you know your doctor and uh, uh, you've got predictable medical care, uh, uh, you can come out okay in our, in our American system. But, you know, we, we, when you go to basic health care, everybody says, oh, there's no better place in America. What do we rank in, in, in the world in terms of health care for the average citizen? We're not even in the top 10, I, I don't believe. I don't know the exact figure. But, uh, uh, and, and I'll give you another example in my case. After about six days, I said, well, you got to get up and get moving. That's fine. I want to. And the, we're sending in a, a team of physical therapists. So two ladies came in. And my physical therapy was walk across the room and walk back. And then we'll see it. We'll see it tomorrow, which would meant, which was usually two or three days later. I mean, it just was a, such a breakdown. And uh, uh, so, uh, and, and as you said, uh, you know, I know a lot about medicine. Uh, I know people who work in the medical community. If anybody ought to get good medical care would be me. And, and as you pointed out, I, my heart goes out to people that don't have the ability to seize the opportunity to do something on their own. 10 days went by, Errol, and after 10 days, I, I wasn't doing better, and I thought I was, I was doing worse, I was regressing. And I said, this just can't, and the, the, the hospital bed was uh, very narrow, you couldn't turn over on it, uh, lumpy, uh, the food was hospital food, which was not much of a choice, but very few choices in terms of the food, heavy stuff that would stop you up bread and, and uh, you know, ice cream for dessert and cottage cheese and nothing that, that I felt was, you know, I wanted soups and salads and that kind of thing. And I finally did get a salad, and but there was no dressing on the salad. So the, the hospital food was quite poor and what sh should be a real good uh, situation with so many patients here. And so, after seeing this and being so uncomfortable, not sleeping, feeling I wasn't making any progress and not really getting any adequate medical care, I, I called my son. I said, I'm out of here. I can't stay here any longer. And so my son came to get me and uh, 
the nurse and the folks that were on duty, uh, it was on the Saturday afternoon, they threw a hissy fit. You can't leave. You've got to be checked out by a doctor. I said, well, I haven't seen a doctor in a couple of days. I never, and when they come in, they don't give me the time of day. You've got to see a doctor to check out. I said, well, ma'am, you watch me. I'm out of here. And over their protests, I got up and walked out of the hospital, which is the best decision I made, because if I'd not done that then, I'm not sure I would have ever come out. I came home, I uh, got some, uh, uh, some advice about getting uh, from a different doctor outside the system, getting oxygen. I knew enough that I needed some oxygen to breathe. Uh, and I got the 2% oxygen, got some because I didn't have a strength without the oxygen. I stayed on oxygen for a couple of weeks. And uh, the month afterwards, I was convinced after talking to some other doctor's friends, I did the right thing, Errol. But uh, I can tell you, uh, I had it very seriously. I just couldn't say, well, let's go back. You know, I'll go back to. I couldn't hear what you said. Uh, uh, excuse me. Uh, uh, I'll go back to, to work next week. You know, I couldn't do that at all. I was in very serious shape when I made it home, but it just was going to take some time to recover. So uh, we arranged for physical therapists to come in, and a very good physical therapist said, that, okay, I'll be here with you twice a week. He says, no, no, no. I want you here four times a week. I'll pay you extra. I want four or five times a week. And Errol, when I first started my recovery, I could not, the first, uh, when I was home the first week, I couldn't walk from here to your wall back there. I couldn't walk six or seven feet to a little portable toilet. I, I didn't have that much energy. I had a wonderful healthcare nurse that we've known in the family for some time that stayed with me 24 hours a day for two weeks. And, uh, uh, she got me on my feet and got me moving. Didn't have much of an appetite, but she fixed me. Uh, things were not solid. I could get down. And uh, she had, I couldn't bathe myself, couldn't lift my arms. She bathed me. She did just godsend. And, and again, I say, it's just so unfortunate that I could afford the care and I had the connections for the care and so many people don't. After about two weeks, I started walking in with the therapist and uh, I had no energy at all. I'd take uh, rubber bands, you know, the, 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 rather than have free weights and pull the rubber band to strengthen myself, very difficult. I'd first walk across the hall, then I'd walk out into the driveway. It took me a month to walk down to the end of the block of my street. It took me three months to really, what I would say, recover in a normal mode, although I would still get myself out of breath a good bit. And that's the next thing that worried me was the, the lingering the, the lingering events of COVID, the continuing COVID that stays with you where you're out of breath and you just can't breathe. And so I researched it. There was no compatible data that really told you what, what you needed to do. And after reading everything I could and talking, making a number of calls, searching everything on the internet, I just felt like I needed to at that point that I was walking, I needed some very intensive exercise. Uh, we have a family home up in the North Carolina mountains. We went up there for the first summer, two summers ago. And uh, there are some nice mountain paths that are steep, but still doable for someone my age. And I was first day, first day I went 10 minutes up and 10 minutes back. Next day, uh, 15 minutes, next day, 20. And by the end of the summer, I was going about an hour up and an hour back down. And that, that was necessary for me to overcome the lingering effects of COVID. Uh, isn't it something in America in this day and age, I had to take care of myself through trial and error because nobody really had the, the data to tell me 
and uh, and and several doctors were very uh, uh, were very clear in terms of Jim. We think this is the best recommendation for you, but we just don't know. We don't have enough data. This is all so new, and I appreciated that when the doctor would tell me that. So I knew that, but but. Uh, you didn't need data to know that someone should lie on the bathroom floor for 45 minutes, you see, and, and sit there for an hour and a half waiting on a bottle of water. It was you know, procedure versus substance, we lawyers like to say. The substance was okay. I knew the medicine I should take and that kind of thing. The procedure of getting me focused and bringing me back was just, just pathetic, just, just terribly inefficient. Uh, grossly incompetent, in my opinion, and so, uh, uh, but I can deal with it, you know, with, with uh, my experience in helping other people, my experience as a lawyer, my experience of in being in good shape, uh, I could come up with my own plan with some advice, but most people can't do that, Errol, they just can't do that, they get to be 80 years old, and they, you know, they're just uh, trying to live a good quality of life in their older age, but they get into something like that and it's like getting into quicksand. And so uh, uh, I had to work through that and I've tried to be a, a strong proponent of talking about the changes we need to break or bring and the response that we need to bring about. Uh, uh, I know that COVID has progressed to where now we're getting the shots. I've had both shots, I've had the booster and I plan on getting my, my second booster here in about 30 days, I'll let six months go by. And uh, I don't want to get into a fight with someone that says it doesn't work. Uh, uh, it does work for me. It work, it's working for me. It's working for my family. And I'm encouraging all my family to take the shots. But uh, uh, in any event, uh, uh, we know so much more today than may, when I did a year and a half ago. But, uh, uh, and I just would tell people just, don't get too confident, just, just too confident about where we are right now. We have these other strains. It looks like the strains that are coming out today are not as intense and, and as, say, the strain, initial strain was. But there are new strains coming down, hospitalizations are picking up, and your loved ones who are more, have more exposure, who are over uh, what, 70 years old, 75 years old, have some health conditions. Uh, are at risk and are seriously at risk. And where I know we want to get back to our lives. I love getting back to my life too. But uh, uh, there's still some dangers ahead that we've got to recognize. And so uh, I hope that what happened to me was an aberration. I don't believe it was back then. I think it might be today, Earl. I think it might be an aberration today. I think there might be a better response. Uh, but uh, uh, this whole thing was the worst experience of my life from a medical procedure and something I don't wish on anyone. And I hope that maybe my speaking about it and my writing about it uh, will, will uh, make a difference in, in terms of tough questions to being asked by legislators and other medical oversight groups to say, we just got to do a better job in terms of responding. So, so that's it. What I'm saying was, I didn't have the emergency of people waiting in line to get in the hospital. That wasn't my situation. It was once you got there, the care that I received. Now, look, there are some marvelous healthcare professionals who dedicate their lives to helping people. And so, and I think my professionals are pretty good. 
if there's criticism being made, I think it's at the administration in terms of coordinating the activities. A nurse uh, or uh, a, 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 someone in the system uh, needs to be directed. You know, the nurse needs to know, uh, you know, what she does with so many patients and what time she goes in and knows that if it's a certain amount of time, you go in and take care of it. You need to have the administration do the coordination. And so I don't put a knock as much on the medical professionals as much on they're not being directed properly. Uh, they weren't, uh, uh, they, the administration just didn't kick in. Uh, and that, that's, a, that's often the case, and particularly in the state government, I've found you've got some decent people that want to do the right thing, but they're not being directed properly. The rules and regs they follow had not been laid out specifically, and there's weaknesses in that system. So it's not just the medical system. There's weaknesses in, in any number of systems, and uh, that's why you have efficiency experts. And I don't think we've done a, a well, good enough job within the public hospitals uh, along those lines. Good. We're talking with, uh, with, with, with Jim Brown, former Secretary of State, Insurance Commissioner, former State Senator, former COVID patient. We're glad to say the word uh, former with this Jim. From the day you first realized that you had this to the time that you could walk outside and say, I'm over it. But how long was that? Uh, it was probably seven or eight months. I mean, it was, I got back to a normal existence where I could walk around, I could uh, get my car, I could drive, I could curl up with a good book. I could live what most people consider a normal life. But in terms of exertion arrow, where I, I had to exert energy, uh, that took longer. And uh, I'm not sure I could have done a living down here. I needed some really uh, uh, exorbitant exercise. And that was a godsend to be up there in the mountains. It was when it was, you know, it, it was not 100 degrees like it is down here a good bit. I was up in 70 degree weather and I was walking up mountains. And so that really helped my search. Now I could have done the same thing with exercise machines and the right, the competent uh, uh, professionals, but I did, don't sense that the medical profession is coordinating with physical therapists to show you that look, for long range COVID, this person needs to be intensely uh, brought back. And, and I, I don't see that going on. I, I've, I've uh, uh, you know, I've had some sh shoulder surgery and several other things. And I think there's often a, a lack of coordination between the medical professionals, the doctors and the nurses and the physical therapists. Physical therapists say, well, I know what to do for you got a bad shoulder, I know what to do. No, that's not the way you do it. You sit down with your medical professional, your doctor and work out a game plan. And we don't do enough of that, in my opinion. Uh, I wish we did more of that. And, uh, uh, of course, every, you know, the, the numbers, you make money by churning out the people and turning them over a good bit. And uh, uh, Medicare, I think, is part of the problem. Uh, uh, you know, I was looking at some of the bills that I incurred during my stays on several of these things, and the bills just seemed astronomical uh, in terms of what was being charged. I'd go in for an hour session and, and have uh, basically do my own therapy. I kind of use the... the, the therapy uh, surroundings as a workout facility more for me. I didn't need any physical therapy. I knew what to do. And I, when I'd get the Medicare bills in the mail, the uh, physical therapist was charging $550, $600 for me to come in for 30 minutes and work out on my own. 
So uh, uh, the system allows that, but we spend an exorbitant amount of money, and I'm not sure we're getting the best bang for our buck, quite frankly. Have you had any interaction like with the administrative staff or people in authority at the hospital about what happened to you? No, I uh, I started to just really raise hell with them. I told several of the doctors on these boards uh, about the care I got. But uh, no, in fact, when I wrote some of these articles, I really expected some of the administrators uh, to reach out to me and say, look, we're really sorry about your experience. Can we talk about it? We don't want to happen again. Uh, and uh, no, no one reached out. No one reached out. I did throw, like I say, I wrote a pretty heavy column that is read in you know, 80, 85 newspapers in the state carrying my columns at hospitals all over the state uh, uh, were getting the, the kickback. But if no one knows, let's just keep our heads down and don't rock the boat and keep sending those bills out. And so uh, uh, I didn't feel like there was any real aggressive effort to say, hey, let's use Brown's case as a way to see how we can improve the this, this scenario. Nothing like that ever happened to me. How about your personal physician? Have you talked to him or her? I have. I have. And uh, uh, my personal physician was very open about the fact that he was learning as he went along that so much of this was new, especially when I got it very early. He said, look, let's just go in the hospital. And, and then I did video calls with him in terms of my recovery. And he helped me uh, with my blood oxygen level. I, I would take my oxygen two or three times a day with the little finger uh, attachment you put on. And uh, uh, I would uh, uh, do several tests and give to him, and he would advise me as to what to do. But he's very open about the fact that uh, this is new. We're breaking some new ground. But he did help me once I got out of the hospital. I, I will say that. But he wasn't tied to this hospital group that I, I went into. You mentioned that you work out every day. What, what type of workout do you do? Right now, uh, I've got a re I've got some foot problems at my age. I'll be 82 in May. Also, uh, some things I do a younger person wouldn't have to deal with. I'm on a recumbent bike. I have a recumbent bike uh, because I'm about halfway through House of Cards on, on Netflix. And so I love to sit, get on that exercise bike and, and do a, a very aggressive workout there. I'm a big Tom Brady proponent of the bands. Uh, Brady, the best quarterback in the history of football says, don't do those heavy weights when you get older. Use the bands, the expandable bands. And I do a whole series of exercise with those expandable bands. Uh, so I start off on the exercise bike for about 45 minutes. I was on a regular bike and, uh, you know, I sat there talking to my grandson and fell over on the ground. <laughs> so I'm off. The, my wife won't let me ride my regular bike, at least when I don't do it when she's, she's around. I love to ride that bike, Errol. But uh, uh, I do the I do about 45 minutes on a recumbent bike, not real heavy, just to get all my blood warmed up well. I use those stretch bands a good bit, and I really stretch myself. I lie down on the floor and do a whole series of stretches around my back, my hips. And that's very important. I'm a big believer in stretching. I stretch probably 25 minutes a day, 20, 25 minutes a day. Errol, when I don't stretch, I know it. Uh, I'm, I'm sore, I'm tight. I know when I don't stretch. So stretching, uh, exercise bands, 
and are recovered by to my basic forms of exercise. And I do it probably six days a week. When you and I uh, finish this program today, I'll be in that recumbent bike and, and uh, uh, doing that whole series. I think that's so important as you get older, maybe not as aggressively as I do, <coughs> uh, because I've done that all my life, but I think walking, if you can walk, is excellent. And then just lying down and stretching a good bit. And I think as you get older, that's, that's gonna keep you uh, lively and and uh, also living a lot longer life, quite frankly. How do you think the um, the state responded to this? Uh, Governor Redwich, for example, I mean, do you think it handled it well? I think it did an excellent job uh, in the face of a lot of opposition. Uh, and I think the opposition was more from a political point of view. Uh, there are some people I've come across that genuinely I, I don't think they, they feel like that the shots and that some of the responses we had were a hoax or not effective. I think it was the uncertainty. It's what a lot of parents are going through right now where shots are available for young kids. <clears throat> and, and you give a shot to your five-year-old. Uh, my daughter and my son and I have talked about that. I've got a five-year-old grandson and my older uh, grandkids who are anywhere from eight and above have all been vaccinated. You vaccinate a three, four, five-year-old child, <clears throat> I'm concerned about wanting to know the data. I'm just not sure there's enough data for that. So I can understand a parent uh, taking the attitude of, you know, we just don't want to rush into something. There's so much unknown. But uh, I think that the, the governor uh, did a, a really first-rate job. I thought that he gave regular updates, uh, uh, often daily at the height of how bad the COVID situation was. Uh, I think he responded when certain areas of the state needed it for ventilators or whatever, that uh, he tried to parcel all those things around, get more, lobby hard in Washington to get more. So I, I have no, no qualms about the good job that Governor Edwards did. Uh, 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 I don't know what more he could have done uh, by forewarning people, by getting the, the medical aid and care we needed. I thought all around, I would give him an A for the job he did in, in this whole COVID response. And this was an event, unlike I think Americans have experienced, where the governors across the country got so much attention. It was really a governor's event. And there were 50 different governors and there were a lot of different responses, but the governors really became important during all of this. Well, and they need to, I think that so often, we just kind of kicked it to the federal government. Of course, we always do for money. We always want more federal funds. And I understand that we're paying a lot into the federal government. But uh, some governors I find are much more creative than others in, in terms of uh, confecting a federal or a response for the best interest of their state. Uh, you know, we, we've had uh, huge challenges here when it comes to flood control and in so many areas. We're having problems with the whole flow of education. I think in some areas, we need to experiment a little bit more. We're, we've been very slow of making changes from the legislative point of view, but uh, governors can do a lot. Uh, uh, there's no doubt that they can be a, a, an experimental ground uh, to get a lot more things done. And, and uh, uh, we've, uh, you know, Mike Foster was looked on as kind of a passing quiet governor, never left the state. But I thought he was very open to 
changes and responses. I found that when I was insurance commissioner and dealing with him, I found him very open to saying, yeah, let's get this better. I think his hiring of Bobby Jindal, uh, who became governor, was a good initial move. And uh, uh, Jindal started off like a ball of fire. I thought he was going to be one of the finest governors in the the states. But for the first two years, he, he just did a lot of creative things. But then, uh, then he got diverted on his national ambitions, just walked away from the state and ended up uh, uh, not being looked on as, as uh, effective at all. But uh, so creative governors can get a lot done, quite frankly. Edwin Edwards, during his first term, really his first two terms, uh, uh, he, the, the 70s were so important. A lot of your listeners don't, weren't alive or very young at the time. But if you talk to observers of, of Louisiana, they'll tell you overwhelmingly that the 70s were the most productive time in the state's history. Some of the most aggressive legislation, opening up the government, open meetings laws, uh, what we did with flood protection, uh, uh, so many things we, we did with the new constitution and so many other things. Uh, and it was, quite frankly, we were blessed to have a really good group of legislators down there in New Orleans. You had people like Nat Kiefer, Adrian DePlanche, who went on to be a federal judge, uh, Ted Hickey, some very progressive legislators that, that really brought the state into the, uh, uh, the 21st century. Uh, then it kind of lingered and kind of fell, and we still haven't gotten off the bottom. We have a huge weight in this state, Earl, that you know almost a third of the state in effect, becomes an anchor uh, around the neck of those who want to move forward because of their, their situation, often not brought on by their own experience of poverty, uh, uneducated kids, the high uh, uh, birth rate with, uh, uh, with kids who don't have parental guidance or parents at home. Uh, we're, very we're very unique. We're one of the few states that has a high number and of course, no matter how much we progress with the upper third or upper half, you've got uh, a, a large number of people that still uh, uh, have a long way to go in, in bringing the state numbers up a good bit. And, uh, uh, and that's a tough, tough question. I, I've thought a lot about many of these issues. I write about them. Uh, you know, I ran for governor of Louisiana and I wrote a 185 page plan uh, to bring the, the state more into the 21st century. I had a couple of potential candidates for governor tell me, uh, I had one here about a month ago say, somebody gave me that plan you wrote. That was some pretty good stuff. That'd be relevant today. We got to use some of that stuff. <laughs> well, it was only about 35 years ago, you know? <laughs> so, uh, uh, so, but going back to your initial question, uh, yes, you can see some governors that take the reins who can be very progressive. Now, the problem now you got is, because of the divisions are so strong with Republicans and Democrats, conservatives, more moderates, it takes a very unique personality to kind of bridge the gap and bring both sides together. And that's a whole different challenge that we didn't have back when I was in the Senate, back in the 70s and the 80s when I was Secretary of State. You didn't have to worry about, about bridging that gap. And now it's just not trying to bring some uh, the other side over with you, if you're a Democrat bringing more Republicans, it's the fact that the divisions are right down the, the middle. So that makes it very hard for governors to govern and try to build a consensus. It's going to be harder to be progressive today, uh, I think, uh, than it was in the past, quite frankly. 
And you know something else, this word progressive has taken on a whole new meaning in politics. Um, that it's also become, you know, the legal implications and the how tough we are on the on prison, that sort of thing. I mean, there's a a left-leaning image of, of the word progressive also. And I, I don't know how, how that happened, but um, anyway. You're right, a progressive Republican, uh, you know, uh, is, is rare. I mean, I guess I'd put Mitt Romney in that category, uh, who, by the way, I've, I've always admired Mitt, Mitt Romney. I thought he'd be a good president when he ran. Uh, and uh, as a way of disclosure, my son-in-law was Mitt Romney's campaign manager in the presidential race that, that he ran. So, but I got to know Romney and I thought he'd be a good, but anyway, you're right. You get labeled as a progressive, progressive Republican. That means oh, you're over there with those liberals and uh, uh, you want to uh, 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 not be labeled like that. Now, I'll say this, we've got an interesting mix in terms of our congressional delegation. Uh, Bill Cassidy is looking like he's uh, trying to reach a balance. Uh, uh, not, not just the fact that he voted to impeach Trump or something along that line, but on a number of pieces of legislation, whether you try to build a consensus, you usually see Cassidy in that number. Uh, uh, you don't have Senator Kennedy. But I'm not going to knock Senator Kennedy. Senator Kennedy is one of the brightest senators we've ever had. He, his politics are quite conservative, but you get into the nuances of what's in that legislation, and you're going to have a hard time finding someone that knows as, uh, enough as much about the legislation or about the, the, the whole idea as Kennedy. Kennedy's a very bright guy, a Rhodes Scholar, and uh, I know he's got this reputation of these corn pone sayings that he says that uh, I just kind of chuckle at. I'm not offended by him, but uh, uh, but Kennedy is not one to find to confect solutions. He's very staunch in his beliefs and he's very knowledgeable. Cassidy is more one to try to confect solutions and is more of that progressive note that you, you've been talking about here. I think Garrett Graves is somewhat in that number of congressmen up here in the Baton Rouge area. And so uh, where others, uh, I think uh, you go up to the 5th District, the 6th up in Shreveport, Higgins over in South Louisiana are just very hardcore Republican conservatives that don't want to give an inch. So uh, we have a very interesting mix in terms of the Louisiana congressional delegation, Errol. I think Kennedy is developing something new in politics, or relatively new. And that's developing a whole following by YouTube. Uh, like you can go in any day and have all these little YouTube snippets of congressmen when they're interviewing people, especially when people have been nominated for uh, jobs. <coughs> and it's fun to listen to Kennedy. It's fun to well, listen. Got a, a very effective staff that film all these pieces he makes, cuts it down to four or five minutes of observation, and posts it on YouTube. Is what he does. Yeah, that's just good. That's I mean, that's just good PR, whatever your political persuasion uh, was uh, in terms of staying in touch. I used to write columns as a senator and a secretary of state to put in all the little local papers that are hungry for news. And I did it the old school way. But uh, Kennedy's taken it to a new level and and gets a, a tremendous amount of publicity uh, uh, across the country for what he's doing along those lines now. Can he blend that into a wider base? Uh, uh, 
you know, that's 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 a different question, but I'm not sure he wants to. I think he's pretty happy in the niche he's cut out for himself, is how I see it. Yeah. Um, before we go, you've mentioned a couple of times your your column. For those people who are deprived and who live in areas where they don't carry your column, can't they get it? How can they get it on the internet? Well, uh, I'm, I think I've got 85 or 86 uh, uh, newspapers and, and a few websites that carry the column regularly once a week. I usually put it out every Monday. And then, of course, people go to my website, which is very simple to remember, jimbrownla.com. Just type in my name, Jim Brown, put LA for Louisiana on the end of it, .com. And I get a number of people that, that access it that way. Uh, You've got websites like the Dead Pelican and other websites that post interesting columns, and mine are usually posted there. So I'm getting anywhere from oh, 60 to 80,000 hits a week uh, uh, for my column just off my website, irrespective of the of the newspapers. And, and I'm very pleased with that, Errol. I don't know any reporter for any newspaper in the state that, that gets a readership that uh, approaching a couple of hundred thousand people in terms of what they write or what they put out. So uh, the list that uh, you get an email from me, I think on that list, it probably goes out to, I guess, 40,000 people every week. And so a combination of all those things uh, is what I like to do to kind of voice. Now, you know, uh, I'm not going to retire off my income <laughs> from this kind of thing. It's a labor of love. I've sure. always enjoyed writing. Uh, I'm just finishing my sixth book, by the way, uh, that'll be coming out in a few months. And, and uh, it's an easy read for someone like you, Errol. It's only 850 pages, so it's a very short read. But uh, it's my sixth book, and it's uh, uh, my view of some of the interesting things I've experienced in Louisiana. And I talk about some of the problems I've had. I think some of your viewers know the fact that the FBI and I got into a real tussle. I wrote at length about that and, and included some interesting things along that line. And I put some of the better columns and put it into something called the Jim Brown Reader. So, <laughs> so it's my gathering of a lot of my, my work that I've done. And I, I've really enjoyed doing that in my later years. Okay. Well, let's get you back when that, when that book comes out. That'd be, that'd be fun to talk about. Jim, as always, thank you very much. We're so glad you recovered. I'm doing fine, and I appreciate you, you giving me the chance to talk about it here. Also, good luck to you, and, and uh, look forward to staying in touch. COVID picked on the wrong guy. You know, anybody that could have gone after, go after you, you know, that was, a, that was the wrong you know, guy. I, I kicked back. I, uh, that, I, I got him by the neck and, and shook, it, <laughs> shook it good. Didn't let get me down. <laughs> All right. Thank you very much, Jim. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Louisiana Insider. Subscribe, like, and rate our show where you listen to your podcasts and follow us on social media at Louisiana Life Mag. Executive producer for Louisiana Insider is Kelly Massico in cooperation with Louisiana Life Magazine. For subscription information to Louisiana Life, call 504-828-1380. Our theme music was provided by Rich Collins. Hey, that's me. Join us again next week for more discoveries inside Louisiana.